Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have John Peterson coming up uh, in just a little bit, but first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine in Montrose. Mary Clarkson, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm well, Eric. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Houston is basking in the national spotlight after receiving 11 semifinalist nominations for the James Beard Awards. These are considered the Oscars of the culinary world. Uh, lots of good news here, starting with three semifinalists for Best Chef Southwest. Ronnie Killen of all of his various restaurants, Tron Wynn of Crawfish and Noodle, and for the very first time, Kaiser Lashkari of Himalaya. Houston also did very well in the various national categories, including an outstanding service nomination both for Hugo's and for Tony's. Outstanding Chef for Chris Shepard. Outstanding Restaurant for the original Ninfas. It's the very first time they've been nominated in that category. Johnny Rhodes from Indigo was nominated for Rising Star Chef of the Year. Anvil is once again nominated for Outstanding Bar Program. And Pappas Brothers Steakhouse is once again nominated for Outstanding Wine Program. Mary, I'll put it to you. What do you think? Is this... uh, is this a sign that Houston is gaining more and more national respect? I think it is. I think it's about time that we finally get to where we are right now. There's more room to go, but it's a, a wonderful sign, and I'm excited for everybody nominated. Yeah, I. The obviously we're going to find out who the finalists are at a press conference March 27th here in Houston. It's the very first time the James Beard Foundation has come to Houston to announce the finalists. Woohoo. You want to make any predictions about who moves on? Oh, predictions. That's that's a tough one. I mean, Anvil is obviously my favorite watering hole besides my own. Um, so maybe Anvil uh, gets gets pretty far this time. Uh, and I would love to see Kaiser. I mean, first time nominated. I know it's hard to be go from first time nominated to winner perhaps, but he's beloved by you and I and a lot of our community. Well, yeah, I think I think Kaiser certainly has a shot at becoming a finalist just because Bill Addison, who used to be Eater's national critic and is now the critic for the Los Angeles Times, is the head of the committee that um, that is responsible for the nominations. He put Himalaya on the list of the country's 38 best restaurants. Uh, that was one of the last major features he wrote before leaving Eater, so he certainly has a fan there. Uh, Pat Sharp is on that committee from Texas Monthly. I think she's a fan. So, And Kaiser has been sort of building buzz, right? He was just on uh, Andrew Zimmern's show. He's, he's been, he was on Anthony Bourdain's show. So Himalaya gaining a little bit of a national profile. Maybe that's enough to push it over the top. Um, I would love to see Ninfas move on. I think that's going to be really tough for them. Uh, I feel like Johnny Rhodes has a shot. Indigo has been getting a lot of buzz, at least from a statewide perspective. It was on 
my list of the city's best new restaurants. It was on Texas Monthly's list of the state's best new restaurants. And what Johnny is doing by blending food with political and social commentary feels like very relevant uh, at a time when we're having these conversations nationally and trying to be more conscientious about both what kind of restaurants win awards and what kind of chefs get this kind of recognition. So uh, I think Johnny might be um, not just doing outstanding work, but also a little bit in the right place at the right time. I think so. I haven't made it to Indigo yet, so it's hard for me to offer an opinion. I've been looking forward to going, but um, absolutely in this environment, I think he stands a a good chance. Anyone else that you're uh, rooting for? I mean, I'm rooting for everybody. Come on, I'm for everyone that gets nominated and anything that raises the profile of Houston on the national culinary scene. I think we've been under-recognized for a long time, and and. Let's see what happens. Hopefully we get farther than we ever have before. Right. All right. Topic number two. You're my resident expert on all things Austin as a UT alum. Yes. So what do you think about the news that P. Terry's has hired a former Whataburger executive who has big plans and wants to bring the restaurant to Houston? I think they want to come get some Houston money and they should because they will do very well here. Have you eaten at P. Terry's? I have. How would you describe it? Because I have not. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a for me, it's a burger joint done really w- well. The ingredients are fresh. They're made to order. They're not, you know, frozen like a lot of fast food joints. It's very Austin. It's very local grassroots type of restaurant. It started off really small, I think, when I was in college before law school. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been around for between 10 and 15 years. Yeah, that sounds about right. So um, it was very popular from, from the second it opened its doors in Austin. And, you know, Austin supports Austin businesses very, very well. And we've seen other Austin transplants come to Houston that have done well. Uchi, by the time it arrived in Houston, everybody was really ready for it. Right, and on a more casual level, Pluckers, Hop Daddy. Hop Daddy would be right. the Those closest. Have all been, someone compared P. Terry's to me to like it's a it's a backyard burger, that that was kind of what it reminds them of. Would you? Yeah, I would agree with that. Kind of like that casual grilling style burger. I mean, there's, I don't, I don't consider their burgers super fancy. Um, you could definitely make them that way, but it's just, for me, it's really about fresh ingredients. It's a good burger. All right. P. Terry's or In-N-Out? P. Terry's. All right. That's, that's, I think that's the critical question with In-N-Out, kind of having its eyes on Houston and then having announced a couple of locations, right? It, it's, you know, can P. Terry's also find a niche? It sounds like you think you're optimistic. I think In-N-Out, I mean, come on, In-N-Out's nationwide and is, is will do well no matter where they are. But I think of In-N-Out more of a Burbs, uh, spot than maybe P. Terry's. I think P. Terry's should start kind of more inside the loop area and then grow out from there. But in and out could go anywhere, brand recognition wise. I mean, people want their in and out as well. No, no, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've been very amused by some of the reaction on social media, which is, you know, oh, do we need another burger joint? Oh, it's like, do we need another steakhouse or barbecue joint? It doesn't matter. Texas loves all three of those categories. Well, also, that's not how capitalism works. Like, <laughs> we, we don't just get to arbitrarily decide, oh, no, we have enough of this one kind of thing. Therefore, 
you person with money to invest in a business concept don't get to open any more of them. That's that's not how this works. P. Terry can come, shake and shot fight can it out. Come, right. Yeah. Right. They can come <laughs> and fight it out with everybody else, and it will be up to individual consumers making their own decision about whether they do or do not want to support it. But yeah, I, I'm always really. We don't need that here. It's like. Um, that's, that's not how, that's not how America works. Sorry. All right. Topic number three, Garden Oaks coffee shop fave Slowpokes. Boom. Has a new location in Upper Kirby in the Kirby Grove building, which is right next to Levy Park. That's Mm -hmm. also the place where Kieran's is. And they have plans to open a third location in Spring Branch on Long Point at, uh, Ron Enterprise's new development. Um, Mary, have you been to Slowpokes? I've been to Slowpokes. I'm. It's just not my thing. I know it's very popular, but it's. I live close to this new location, Levy Park, and they will probably do very, very well with um, traffic counts on the weekend and stuff. But yeah, no, it's, it's just it's not I my mean, thing. It, it's a cool. So so I actually dig it. Uh, I like that they have coffee, beer, and wine. I mean, I know that's not. That's certainly not unique. Yeah. Obviously, uh, Cavo Coffee, Siphon Coffee, you know, Southside Espresso, a lot of places are kind of working in that kind of all-day cafe, like coffee shop with wine and beer mode. Uh, but I think they do a pretty good job. And they have food that's, I would say, better than you would expect it to be, right? They have this little I agree with craft that. bread pizzas. They've got sandwiches. They've got some breakfast stuff. It's better and- than it has to be. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, I know the owners a little bit, uh, Mazen Baltaji and JC. Uh, JC, I'm not going to get your Rubrielta. Sorry, JC, that's that's not right, and I apologize if you listen to this. But uh, but JC was involved in Lever Bakery in the Woodlands, which was this really elegant uh, French bakery. He's sold his interest in that. He's not affiliated with it anymore. Mazen has had his hand in all kinds of different nightclubs and other businesses, including Christian's Tailgate. So. Uh, these are two guys who really know what they're doing. They've created something really nice with that uh, Garden Oaks Oak Forest location, and it's no surprise that it is primed to grow. And also, it will be a very nice addition to Levy Park uh, because it gives people who are going there the, a place to get beer and wine to go that they can drink in the park. They can get a sandwich or a salad and eat it either on the patio or in the park. And just if you're uh, an office worker in that area, it's a very convenient place to get a good cup of coffee or a glass of wine or a beer after work. So for all of those reasons, I think Slowpokes is a nice addition to that area. I agree. You said it's not your thing. What don't you like about it? I don't know. I mean, I just, well, the current location is not somewhere I would go. Um, Yeah, I think if you're you're not going to the park... Uh, it's not that the parking is bad. I mean, there's there's a whole huge garage and, and some street parking around it, but it's... I have it's, a new puppy, so maybe. Oh, yeah, they do have a dog park. <laughs> yeah, this is right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> All right. Topic number four. Uptown Sushi has reopened. This is... Uh, Uptown Sushi was kind of one of the first kind of nice sushi restaurants in Houston that, that was sort of fusion-y and sort of played to mixing flavors uh, from across cultures. It was a big hit in the Uptown Park development when it opened. And as that shopping center has upgraded its 
exterior and it's got new businesses like Flower Child that's in there. It was time for a refresh and they have done that. It was super time. I will say that I spent a ton of time here when this place originally opened. Um, when I was in law school, it was my go-to sushi place, uh, if you will. And the decor for the time back then was cutting edge. So, you know, you've been there a long time. I'm sure they extended their lease. You've got to keep up with the Nobus and Uchis and Katarabatas of this town. Right. None of those restaurants open were open when Uptown Sushi opened 15 years ago. So, yes. T- uh, and interior and is, Yeah, right. The interior is lighter and brighter. I mean, I don't think of Uptown Sushi as sort of competing at the very top end, at least from a food perspective. I think it's, like for me, the location, the proximity to Galleria and international travelers, I bet it gets a lot of business travelers, a lot of foreign nationals that are visiting. I mean, it's got that Miami type of feel to it, or at least it used to. Yeah, I once I once kind of slammed it as your parents' favorite sushi restaurant. <laughs> uh, what, you want Yolotel sashimi with jalapenos? Well, no, I go to cut a robot for but but no that it had that kind of old school vibe you know you know stuff with stuff with cream cheese stuff with mayo like yeah. not not always my first choice but but I do think that they've they've freshened things up a bit they brought in some more you know maybe a little better product they're doing some wagyu now so you've got to keep up there's so many good choices in this town obviously you and I have our favorites um, I think most people know who the, what those are. Uh, kata and a little bit uchi for me, uh, but you, yeah, but you've I gotta, haven't. But the, I haven't been to Uptown Sushi in a really long time, and this remodel and this new menu, I think that's going to get me back there. I haven't seen. I haven't been back. I need to go, but I want to see if they're incorporating Japanese fish market like the other concepts in town are. Right. Yeah. Because at a time when even a restaurant like Tobio in Katy is advertising that they're getting their fish flown in fresh from Japan. Like, that's kind of the minimum barrier of entry, at least for, for top tier. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Mary, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Mary, for our restaurant of the week, we are going back to uh, a new old favorite. Mm-hmm. We had dinner at Nancy's Hustle on Saturday night. Uh, a very Nancy's hustle was hustling. It was or, very bustling. hustling, very hustling. You know, you, and, you <laughs> walk in, you walk in, and you're like, "So I know we don't have a reservation, but you know, can we get on the waiting list?" Uh, yeah, it'll be an hour and a half. Ninety minutes. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, which you know, I I mean, I know that it's it's very successful. Uh, I know it's been written about uh, by magazines like GQ, so it has both a national profile and it's been. Highly acclaimed locally. It's nominated for a whole bunch of our Culture Map Tastemaker Awards, but still, um, thankfully, we didn't wait the full 90 minutes. But it was a nice night. Uh, we had a cocktail on the, on, the, uh, on the front stoop while we waited. Um, I will say it had been maybe six or so months since my last meal at Nancy's Hustle, and we found the restaurant in very fine form. What did you think of our meal? I thought our meal was spectacular. I tend to go to Nancy's every few weeks just because it's convenient hour-wise. It's open late. Um, The food is constantly changing. You know, there's obviously Nancy cakes are always going to be on that menu, and they were delicious this time, as they always were. But some of their pasta options, their steak option was great. Service is good. Their wine list. I mean, 
this is this is a lot of people's favorite restaurant for a reason. It's got a good energy to it, good food, good service, good wine list, good cocktails. I mean, a lot of restaurants hit some of those notes. Very few hit all of those notes. Right. And I, as I said, I had not been in in a while, so I didn't know, for example, that they had put in banquettes in the rear half of the dining room. That gives them a slightly more flexible seating arrangement for large groups. And we did have a number of new dishes to try on the menu. Uh, that spaghetti with the crab was really good. The cavatelli with the the duck was outstanding. Outstanding. We had a snapper collar special, just a, a like a roasted that piece was, of fish. That was my favorite dish of the evening. Just it was so fresh and so incredible. Yeah, in that kind of bright, like Southeast Asian, little bit spicy sauce that went along with it. Delicious, and it was fifteen bucks. And yeah, there and, were three and a of very those. generous portion that fed three three happily. of us very comfortably. Uh, the steak is now a sirloin. It comes with some some grilled cabbage. That was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really nice. I mean, I, I mean, I think probably for me, uh, the cavatelli with the duck was my, my favorite dish. I mean, obviously the Nancy cakes, the corn cakes with the, the trout roe and the cultured butter. That's always going to be a winner. Dessert but was the, delicious. And the desserts were good. Julia Doran is a tastemaker nominee for Pastry Chef of the Year. No surprise there. The chocolate tort was yummy. It was rich, but flavorful. The cherries that were uh, macerated cherries that were on that were delicious too. Yeah, Parmesan cheesecake, kind of a new classic. Uh, you know, I like it when it's super, super fluffy. fluffy. It was a little more dense. It was. Uh, but still very flavorful. And that uh, pudding with the the fresh strawberries and that lime, lime ice cream with the black sesame seeds, just bright acidic. That was um, a good way to finish dessert, like yeah, palate it, cleanser. It was. And, you know, you talk about the vibe. I mean, I love, I feel like I always hear something good on the soundtrack. Saturday night, it was Steely Dan and Tom Petty that had me kind of <laughs> chair dancing and singing along a little bit. You were singing at the table. I was singing at the table. <laughs> well, it's the way it goes. Uh, you know, the bottle of wine you, you purchased for us probably had a little something to do with that. A little gemstone, uh, gamay, Pinot Noir. Very good. We also feature it at Avondale. It's yummy. 59 bucks at Nancy's. Good bottle of wine. Not crazy expensive. Yeah. And it, it gave three of us something to drink for, I mean... In terms of the volume of liquid or however you want to measure it, basically the same price as four cocktails or five cocktails. So sure. I think that worked out really well. Uh, yeah, just, you know, just a really solid experience from the whole team at Nancy's Hustle. And, and I'm glad we didn't I'm glad we didn't have to wait an hour and a half. But um, I I understand why on a Saturday night with. You know, the rodeo concerts in the afternoon, U of H sure. had played in the afternoon, the Dynamo had played in the afternoon. And it's not a big restaurant. It's also. not a big restaurant. So reservations definitely recommended going early or late. Uh, don't try to walk in uh, or try to walk in on Saturday night if you want, but just be advised that. I would say that ones and twos, though, will move quicker at the bar. You know, we were a bigger party, so right. but well, still and, definitely and, await. And Sean Jensen, when the owners told me that, that the night before on the Friday, you know, they'd had maybe three or four groups waiting for a table off and on all night. Uh, they just got slammed on Saturday in a way that, that even they don't usually get. Yep. Agreed. So, but great service, great experience, great meal. Uh, not that uh, not that people don't already know that, but it's, it's nice to just sort of pop in unannounced on a restaurant, even when they're busy, even when just they've got check, a lot going on, just to kind of spot in. check on it and find out that it's still uh, really excellent. Still killing it. 
Uh, yes, and you can uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, Sean and Jason, the chef at Nancy Sussel, have time to join us for the Culture Map Tastemaker Awards on March 27th. They are nominated in a whole host of categories. Avondale Food and Wine is nominated for Wine Program of the Year. Yes. So that's very exciting. It is. Uh, Mary, before you get out of here, tell us what you have going on at Avondale. Okay. Uh, this week, we've got a couple things going on. Thursday, we have a new wave of Australia wine tasting and retail market. I just got back from L.A. Australia wine is... Australian wine is kind of taking over in LA right now at a lot of um, restaurants that I respect, including Kismet. So we decided to kind of be one of the first wine shops, wine bars, restaurants to feature New Wave Australia. That's Thursday from 6 to 8. It is free with any purchase. Otherwise, it's 20 bucks. It includes small bites. And then Friday, we have a couple that is originally from uh, Montrose, believe it or not. It's a husband and wife. Uh, one of them's French. One of them's American. They are returning to Houston for one night only. It's the Julian Cecile... Julian Sicilian family meal. Uh, that'll be Friday at seven o'clock. We'll be featuring four of their wines, and we will um, be welcoming them back to the neighborhood where they used to live. So we're really excited to have that. That's sixty-five bucks. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for doing this. You are welcome. I'll be right back with John Peterson. You're listening to What's Eric Eating. I'm joined this week by John Peterson, the owner of The Rice Box, a Chinese takeout restaurant. John, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, Eric. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. This is exciting. Um, yeah, I, I almost feel like I have to do like full disclosure because I've known you I've known you for a really long time. Yeah, we've actually known each other before you were a critic. Yeah, well, and before you were a restaurateur. Yeah. That's right? exactly right. Uh, I was a guy who spent too much money. We met around 20, 2003 or four. Yep. I was a guy who spent too much money on a Volkswagen GTI. And you were uh, one of the movers behind Mayday Garage, yeah. a website devoted to imported Japanese cars and the, uh, the people who modify them to make them much faster than they come from the dealership. Yeah, we like to say... Uh celebrating the spirit of the golden era of Japanese tuning culture. I think that's that's kind of what we were uh, pr- trying to preserve and still preserve to this day. Yeah, it was all very Fast and the Furious. Oh, yeah. No, we are... Some people grew out of it and uh, others didn't. And uh, we clearly still have not. And it actually is part of the backbone of the rice box, believe it or not. Yeah, so why don't we start there, I guess. How did you go from kind of car culture, event promoter to starting the, the rice box as a food truck. Yeah. So I've always been involved with cars since I could drive. Um, I'm super into, you know, like mentioned before, Japanese tuning culture and, you know, street culture in general uh, from a fashion sense, automotive sense and food sense. And before I started the rice box, uh, I was, you know, in and out of the food industry, uh, primarily coffee. Uh, and you could see some of that influence in the rice box. It's kind of a Chinese takeout bar with almost like a coffee shop like vibe, right? That's how, you know, you feel when you come in, the engagement is there, the hospitality is there, very similar to that of a coffee shop, but it is a Chinese takeout bar. Uh, you know, during college, I actually studied Chinese and, uh, I went over to Beijing for a little bit and studied over there and really fell in love with the food and culture. 
And when I came back, I went through a couple of industries. Uh, I had left food, left coffee, and I went through a couple of industries, you know, just oil and gas and real estate. And, uh, you know, my last stint was in oil and gas. And when I decided that type of work wasn't for me, I ended up back in food. And during that time, uh, in this weird, like limbo of kind of like figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, of course, I'm always doing cars. I'm always promoting and, uh, you know, doing underground car events. So that's always going on. You know, I never, I never stopped doing that. But during this time, um, of trying to figure out, I always wanted to bring, I was always a fan of old school Chinatown, like Edo Chinatown, just the vision of Chinatown that we all think about when we go to Chinatown. Right. When I was growing up in Houston in the 80s and 90s, Chinatown was basically along St. Emanuel Street, Yep. Uh, right around where Kim San still is now. Uh, Huin Restaurant, that shopping center had a Chinese buffet at the other end of it called Hung Ki. Yep. It was a favorite of my father's. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was uh, Long Sing Supermarket, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there were a lot of businesses, most of them now gone. Yeah, but but when I was growing up, if you said where's Chinatown in Houston, it wasn't on Bel Air, east or west of the Beltway. It was next to downtown. Yeah, in Edo. Yeah, and you know, and then it morphed into uh, the Milam area, which is now Midtown, and then morphed into Bel Air. But you know, Bel Air was happening for a very long time. Right, Bel Air was happening in the '90s or maybe the early 2000s. By the time uh, my little sister was in high school, certainly that was a thing. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. You know, like I, my, my contact with what I knew to be Chinatown was, was what we now call Edo. Yeah. So one, so I'm going to see a Bon Jovi concert with, uh, with, uh, with my sister and her friends. And, uh, while they're in town, uh, you know, so my sister went to Mary Harden Baylor, uh, in central Texas and she brings her friends here and they're like, hey, John speaks Chinese. You know, have him take us to Chinatown. We want to see Chinatown. We want to see big neon lights and all of this. And at the time, our Chinatown here in Houston really doesn't have that. I mean, you know, there are areas of China. You know, if you go to right. Chinatown, Yokohama, you see that. But there's right. Or they're, they're thinking of like big trouble, big trouble in little Chinatown. Right? Big trouble in little Chinatown. That's what they want to see. They want to go into a back alleyway and they want to, you know, go to this. Uh, yeah, in this, Houston, it's all strip centers. It doesn't work that way. Right, right, right. And look, there's nothing wrong with that because we have incredible food. And, uh, you know, we don't have, I think a lot of that, that design, that element is uh, that creative, that vision comes from constraint in real estate, right? So you have to build vertical and that allows a lot of opportunity to do vertical neon signage and stuff like that. Therefore, you see a lot of that whenever you go to an area. Okay. So how did you decide to, so- how did you decide to open the rice box? Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's so move the story. Along. So we're, we're moving the story to. So here I am trying to figure out what I want to do. And uh, over a game of Magic the Gathering and a couple of beers, uh, we, uh, you know, I get asked a question like, what is it that you want to do, John? I was like, you know what? I would love to turn Edo into a Chinatown. Like something crazy. It would be awesome to get all the people from, you know, this is, you know, fantasy John here talking. We're going to talk to all the families that moved out to Bel Air, all those restaurants and say, hey, do you want to open a second location or something in, in Edo? And I opened something too. But this is before I even 
had started the rice box. It was before I had done any of that. I just had these like visions in my head, zero street cred. I had no idea what I was doing. And, uh, and you know, this was, this was more like, it would be fun if this were to happen. It would be fun if I had a million dollars, you know, a kajillion dollars, more than a million dollars. I mean, this would take, you know, probably $10 million. Uh, probably more like 50, I mean, to completely <laughs> redevelop. But anyway, so, uh, so you know, break down that passion to its core. And at the time, Josh Martinez and Lyle Bento had launched the modular food truck in my backyard. At the time, I was living with uh, David Buer. And food truck was already kind of like there in this pers- this, this kind of like ether. Yeah, you were like in the first wave of kind of modern food trucks to kind of hit the streets in Houston yeah. along with like Bernie's burger bus yeah. and good dog. Yeah. And Oh, my pocket pies, maybe a, a few others, most of which have been uh, lost to the dustbin of Houston restaurant history. Yeah. And we had, there had been some talk about doing a food truck, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, and over, like I said, over a game of magic, the gathering and a couple of beers, the idea of the rice box was conceived, which was to basically serve, what we grew up with, which was, you know, American Chinese out of a Chinese takeout box. The name itself, of course, came from the nickname that we gave Long Sing in old Chinatown. Right. Long Sing, where you could get basically a two meat plate over steamed rice with a vegetable for seven bucks. Seven like bucks. Well, now, now it's eight ninety five. Right. In a styrofoam container, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, we used to call it the rice box back then. And so when the idea was coming to fruition of doing Chinese takeout out of a box in a food truck and, you know, back then it was like, oh man, we know what we're going to call this. We're going to call it the rice box. And then boom, that, that was it. And okay, so three months later we had the truck. So why Chinese American food? Like you had been to China, yeah. you had tasted all these authentic traditional Chinese dishes. Mm-hmm. Why like General Tso's chicken and Kung Pao chicken instead of Mapu tofu and, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, well, general, so chicken, the answer is really simple. Uh, when we were growing up and like myself and my friends, we were dirt poor, uh, no money. We would go to places like Lili dumpling house, right in Chinatown, Bel Air. And three of us could sit down and for $8 and 95 cents, we could have incredible general. So chicken, huge plate, bottomless rice, bottomless hot tea and walk out full. And I just wanted to bring the best possible version I could bring to the table, uh, you know, because that was a super nostalgic, very important dish. Not trying to reinvent anything, just make my best version of this dish. All right. So how did you learn how to make these dishes and, and translate them to the food truck? Yeah. So this is this is where things get kind of crazy. Um, this was no no experience whatsoever cooking <laughs> uh, Chinese food starting out of the gate. So we're, we're piecemealing with basic recipes in the very beginning. And I must have made 200 versions of General So Chicken dialing down my first recipe at my house uh, for friends and, you know, had private invites and a lot of, I mean, a lot of industry people you know today had come to the house at the time I was rooming with, you know, David Buer, Mikey, all these guys, it was, we were staying in what was like an animal house. And so we always had food events there and, you know, uh, food parties there. And it was kind of a running joke in the beginning. It's like, Hey, you know, John's starting a Chinese food truck. Y'all want to come over and try his journal. So chicken. Right. So we should, we should explain you have never bought like bottled sauces. 
Like, no, that's no, one no, of those no. things you've always you've always made all your own. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything is made from scratch, right? All the sauces are made from scratch. We make all that in house. Right. So, all right. So you hit the streets, end uh-huh. of twenty eleven. Um, kind of talk me through the evolution because it seems like you built a following pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, so, it, a lot. You know, a lot of things happen in business. Uh, you know, to help propel. I think that if we would have opened, I think if we would have started a food truck now, I think, uh, you know, it definitely, the momentum would have been a little different. I mean, timing has a lot to do with everything. Like you said, we were one of, you know, we were one of the food trucks at the beginning of the wave, right? So you're definitely unique, identifiable. And our concept was unique and identifiable. There was no, there was no stray. I got a very sound piece of advice from a chef here in Houston. He said, whatever you do, just stick to your, stick to your guns. Don't do. Yeah. Don't do a hamburger. Yeah, I don't do hamburgers. Just like you're doing general so chicken, stick to general chicken. You know, I didn't come from the kitchen. So, you know, I had all these ideas, but sometimes you just have to pull them back and just stick to your guns. Um, but we, you know, it was, it was a mix of the automotive community supporting me in the very beginning and getting solid feedback and really, uh, you know, where our cuisine was then and where it is now is totally night and day. Well, yeah, I, I do want to talk about that yeah. because you, I mean, the truck did not have walks. No. And now all of your your two restaurants and the third one coming to River Oaks, it, yeah. it's all walk-fired. Yeah, it's full-fledged Chinese kitchen. Now. Okay, so yeah. so I guess what were you doing in the beginning? Sure. And then what are you doing now? So doing in the beginning was we were mimicking, we were mimicking. So when you cook in a walk, right, there's a process that happens with sauce. Uh, you actually liaise the sauce. You thicken a sauce. Well, let's say I was to make journal slow chicken, right? Fried chicken. You have a sauce base, and then you liaise the sauce with a slurry, like a like a like a uh, corn like starch, a corn or, starch or yeah. something like that, to make it thicker, right? Well, we didn't have walks on the truck, so we had to manipulate sauces, you know, at that time, right, to get that flavor, and it created a, kind of like a unique, identifiable flavor to our concept, and it ended up being really good, um, you know. And we, we just stuck with that and ran with it. And walks were not introduced until we were forced to expand our menu at our first restaurant location in Greenway Plaza. And Greenway Plaza was an awesome, awesome ground zero for our first, for our first expansion out of the truck because we got direct feedback from people every single day. So when we opened, we fell flat on our face. And people would literally come up to us and say, hey, I just want to let you know, that dish sucked. You need to fix it. Right. And it was such a good, it was such a eye opening. So were, were they ever constructive? Like it sucked for this reason? Yeah. Or were they just like it sucked? Oh, no. Well, it sucked. It sucked for this reason. You know, this and that. They tell you, hey, you know, why don't you consider this? Why don't you consider this sweeter? You know, this was, you know, too over the top. I don't like the breading, you know, and I just, I just took it all in, all in. So, like I said before, you know, sometimes you got to stick to your guns and then sometimes, you know, uh, you got, you got to, you got to be all ears and say, hey, I, I want to make the best possible dish I can. Right. We should, we should clarify. Yeah. It's, it's one thing to be operating a food truck out in front of poison girl that serves until 2 AM. And <laughs> yeah. most of your customers are intoxicated. Yeah. It's another thing to serve office workers on a time crunch. Yeah. Who like really care about the quality of what they're getting. Yeah. And you have to be very fast, right? No shortcuts. You're making everything to order, right? So you have to be consistent, strong, Right. Otherwise, they're just going to leave. I mean, you know, they could easily go outside and go, you know, to ABC restaurant or whatever, you know. Uh, so we had to we had to whip it up really quick and uh, and, st- you know, straighten up our act. And that's when we introduced walks. 
Right. So what was the, so, so from a consumer standpoint, like what's the benefit of knowing that now when they go to your two restaurants, that the, that the food is made in a wok? Oh, that's just flavor profile. Uh, you can tell, um, uh, they have this thing called wake, right? And wake is like this, this, uh, kind of like breath of fry, breath of fire. It's like this unique kind of, um, distinguishing, uh, like flavor that comes off a type of fried rice or a type of, uh, vegetable or, uh, you know, a type of cook that, you know, just has like this, this wok flavor. Um, and you know, there's a million ways you could say it, but you can tell. Yeah. Usually like wok breath, I think is yeah. how it's yeah. right. Yeah. Translated. Yeah. All right. So, mm-hmm. So you started with you started on the truck with five chicken dishes. Yeah, uh, the menu has expanded considerably. What are you yeah. What are you up to? Because you because you do you do noodles, you do all kinds of stuff that you didn't do in the beginning. Yeah. So for me, the 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 challenge, not the challenge, but where I want to go is basically making the just making the best possible. Chinese food that I can. And it's not reinventing any wheel, but if someone comes in and they say, I want Mongolian beef, I'm going to make the best damn Mongolian beef I can, you know, to the best of my knowledge, to the best of the skill set that we have within our organization. And if it's not good enough now, then we'll make it better tomorrow and so on and so forth. Uh, Hence, you know, for instance, I, I just say like, we just started carrying 44 farms beef, right? So all of our beef is in there. I want to carry the best possible quality within my means of beef and product and style uh, to, to, to deliver the best possible product I can. Right. So how do you decide what to add and then how do you kind of refine what you're doing to get it to a point where you're happy with it? Yeah. So in the kitchen, well, you know, this just has to do with the, I've been eating Chinese food my whole entire life and I've traveled all over the world and eaten Chinese food. And if I hear a new Chinese food, like a crazy new Chinese restaurant opens, let's say in LA or San Francisco or New York or even Japan, right? I will travel there and eat. So you've been to like Mission Chinese and some of these places oh, yeah, that yeah, are yeah. kind of reinterpreting yeah, yeah, yeah. Chinese American fare. Yeah, actually one of the one of my favorite fried rices is it is it uh, Mission Chinese, believe it or not. Yeah, one of Danny Bowen's rices. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, I guess uh, Andrew Zimmern just opened a restaurant in Minnesota. Uh, where the name and and if I were better prepared, I would be able to tell you the name of it. But uh, he basically said he wanted to bring authentic Chinese flavors to the Midwest because he felt like the the mom and pop Chinese restaurants just weren't doing a good job of that. And he took incredible flack for it. Mm. Um, so let me just ask you, as a white guy making Chinese food, like how do you? how do you do that in a way that's respectful of the traditions and the people who, I mean, frankly, the Chinese, the Chinese Americans who kind of built the audience for this cuisine? Yeah, this is a really good question because I, I've definitely got my share of flack for sure. You know, being a non Chinese guy doing Chinese food. Right. right. Uh, First, you know, it's, admitting what you don't know, right? And I respect the cuisine 
in all of its aspects. And there's no, it is a very dynamic cuisine. And there is American Chinese, which is kind of like a. I compare it to Tex-Mex. Okay. Right. Where it's, it's an Americanized adaptation of a, of a immigrant cuisine, right? It's not Tex-Mex and authentic Mexican food are two different cuisines. And I would say American style Chinese food is obviously very different than regional or traditional Chinese food. Yeah. So, well, so this is where things get kind of crazy, right? Because there are in China, there are eight core cuisines, right? And two of the cuisines that we're going to be the most familiar with are going to be what they call Chuan Tai, which is basically Sichuan cuisine and Yue Tai. And Yue Tai is Cantonese cuisine. And Yue Tai is what you're going to see the most, the most, uh, the most influence in uh, North American, uh, American Chinese food, in my opinion, from what I've seen. Okay, so this is going to be, you know, a lot of this has to do with some of the first immigrants that came over from that region of China, right? So, uh, you know, when I am researching my my menu, this is kind of like the the dimension that I want to stay in. Right. I try not to veer too far into, you know, other, you know, sure, I can wake up tomorrow and say, hey, I want to serve mapa tofu on my menu. But it really wouldn't make sense uh, because, one, it's not the style like the fast fire, you know, very quick Chinese take, chop suey style Chinese takeout that we do. Uh, you know, mapa tofu to make it correctly uh, is actually a slower dish uh, to make. And, you know, sure, you can make it in big batches and scoop and serve, but that's not what we do. Uh, some of the best mapa tofu you're going to get is, uh, you know, made to order, uh, just, just really just crazy flavor. I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite dishes to eat with, you know, an awesome adjunct lager. Uh, but you know, I'm just not going to, right. You're not going to get, uh, you're not going to get, uh, snow pea shoots and scallion dried, uh, dried scallop sauce. Like that's, you're going to leave that for other people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and that has to do a lot with the, you know, the, how I mean, I, I super respect that dish, and I'm not gonna. If I can't serve it the way I want to serve it, then I'm not gonna serve a botched version, if that makes sense, right? right? So, um, but as far as I mean, I, I guess I went off on a tangent there. If you want to, I guess rewrap on the on the question you asked. Well, me. right. I guess I guess what I mean is you've you've studied this cuisine, you've yeah. spent time in China, you speak a little Chinese. Uh, you know, it seems to me that in that in all of those ways, like your you're much more conscientious about paying respect to the tradition than Andrew Zamerna is at Lucky Cricket. Thank you, producer Tyler Scott, for the name of the restaurant. Uh, and and I just I don't think it would ever occur to you to say I'm going to show I'm going to show these mom and pops how it's done because you spent your whole life eating at those mom and pops and you still do. Yeah, I mean, I'll, yeah, yeah. Just to make it not to put words in your mouth, but just, right? Yeah, but you, I mean, sure, you know me. I mean. Uh, if I'm not eating Chinese at my restaurant, I'm definitely eating Chinese multiple times a week at other restaurants around Houston. I love it because Houston has some of the best, some of the best Asian food in the world. All right. So I, I also, we have to talk about design because yeah. the rice box just doesn't, doesn't really look like other restaurants. Um, Obviously it takes a heavy, heavy dose of inspiration for movies like Blade Runner and aliens. Yeah. How did you, how did you decide that was the direction you wanted to go? Uh, well, so, okay, this, a lot of this comes from when I studied in, in China, in Beijing, 
So there is nothing like walking down the streets of Beijing, foggy, and you walk up to a stand with your homeboys that you're studying in school with, and you have a couple of liters of beer. This could be like what they call shui hua, which is snow beer, which is super awesome. We can't get it here in the States, right? And you're walking up to a stand that's dim lit with neon, uh, getting skewers or, you know, really getting any type of street food on the street. There's just something very special about that, something very free. And growing up, I was a huge science fiction fan. I'm a huge anime geek and, and stuff like that. And really, you merge all that together and one of the quintessential design elements that fits that bill is going to be the white dragon noodle bar from Ridley Scott's 1982 Blade Runner. And so, you know, in 2019, which is this year, right? The year of Blade Runner, uh, second scene, not opening scene, opening scene is the interview of the replicant. Uh, but the second scene where Harrison Ford, he's sitting there in post-apocalyptic LA, uh, you know, sitting there reading the newspaper from the future, walks up to the white dragon noodle bar, uh, it's raining. Uh, you know, he orders noodles, dim lit, sitting there. There's something very, when people say they want to go to Chinatown, even though that's not Chinatown, that's post-apocalyptic LA, right? It's the future. They're speaking a mashup of Japanese, Chinese, and English, and whatever other language they're speaking in there. I mean, it's the future. Everything kind of like merges together, which is a whole nother, you know, uh, symbolism of, you know, in the future, we all come together. But uh, there's something about that that just just screamed me, and that is really what I've run with in the design uh, element of the rice box. All right, and then so we're gonna we're gonna fast forward. So you opened in Greenway Plaza in 2015, you opened in the Heights in 2017, and you're opening in River Oaks. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say roughly April 1st, around there. Uh, how did that? How did that deal come together to take the former Tila's and turn it into rice box number three? Uh, we were looking for the next location and there, we had a couple of spots on our radar. And when that one popped up, there was no, I mean, when, when I got word, we jumped on it immediately. I mean, there's no, to be able, I wanted to be back in Montrose. We started in Montrose. And this was, I mean, sure, there were other opportunities in Montrose, but this one was super special. It was standalone. We could bring everything we had, all the ideas, um, you know, all the passion into this, into this spot to show everybody what, what we want to bring to the table, which is, uh, you know, a, a Chinese takeout bar from the future. That's, so, so what can people expect at the at the new restaurant? They can expect definitely the the vibe from Blade Runner and a little bit of uh, if you've ever seen James Cameron's Aliens, the second one, nineteen eighty six. They're on a planet uh, called LV four two six, and the <laughs> the uh, the the terraforming colony out there that they're that they're in is just like very mecha atmosphere. It, it definitely has that vibe. Uh, so, or if you've ever seen Expanse, the new Amazon prime, uh, you know, uh, show they're always on spaceships. It kind of, it kind of looks like that, um, you know, atmosphere wise, but there is, you know, jumping back into the, the topic of food, uh, there is slight expansion of the menu. Uh, there's definitely more seating inside, 
which is a huge, a huge thing compared to our Heist one. Our Heist one has nine seats inside. It literally is a takeout bar. Uh, this one has about 30 seats inside uh, and about uh, 20 outside. So there's a little bit, a little bit more seating, air conditioned seating inside. So I have to, I have to ask the one thing that, that people have been asking me on sure. social media since I published the article about some of these plans. What, what kind of parking do you have? 21 total spots. It's going to be cramped. It's going to be, it's going to be every man for themselves <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, and then you're right across the street from Backstreet Cafe. Uh, you said you hadn't met Hugo Ortega yet. So I, I just have to ask since the article came out, has, has Hugo walked across the street to introduce himself? No, I, I'm, he's a busy person and, and I'm a pretty busy person. I mean, we're just, I mean, for sure. I think, you know, it's kind of funny. I think I saw him. So I went to Mexico City and I think I saw him in customs. I could have sworn I saw him in customs. It's really possible. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so you're just going to have to walk some general shows across the street, maybe, and introduce yourself. When we open, for sure, I will uh, definitely. I've, the, the people I've been having the most contact with has been his valet service, right? Because they're, they're just, those Sunday brunches are insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then so. Not to jump too far ahead, but are you already kind of thinking about a fourth location? We are. Do you have a vision for what you want that to be or, or where? Uh, roughly, yes. Um, you know, our, our moves are, you know, extremely tactful because, again, the, for me, you know, in the age of, People opening a lot of concepts that are built to scale. Um, you know, there are tons of great ones, but I think the direction we want to make is or take is, you know, the vision of this is what the vision of the rice box is really the driving force behind it. And I just want to make sure that every single one that we open is just as impactful, if not more than the one before. Right. So we have to be very, 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 you know, thoughtful about where we where we open and what we put into it because everywhere we everywhere we open we want it to be special for that community and uh, you know we want to make sure that it has the correct infrastructure for uh, for the the way we want to cook the food to continue to make the food better to continue to pay even more respect to the cuisine which to me is one of the most important things so if I said that it doesn't seem like there's a restaurant like this in either Austin or Dallas, and maybe they could they could use something like the rice box. Is that long term? Is that in your goals, or do you think you're a a Houston, a strictly a Houston? I'm entity? I'm not saying that they. I'm not saying that this is just a Houston thing, but uh, I will. I am saying that I'm going to grow at a rate where we can deliver the same product across the board. Right. We don't want to. You know, the last thing I want to do is open somewhere and then. People call me up and they say, "Hey, John, what the hell happened to the General So Chicken, man? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want that to happen." No, no, and and in fact, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I I I went to the location in Greenway Plaza and I ordered the General So's chicken, and it's it's still very delicious. Thank you. Over over fried rice with an egg roll. That's that's how I do it. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, I still crush General So Chicken pretty hard. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a like. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to stroke your ego too much, but it is kind of amazing to me to, to have watched you grow from, you know, 
the the Mayday Garage guy, the Golden Doomba, <laughs> to you know, uh, soon to be three restaurants and and you know a, a very popular player in our little culinary universe here. We, um, I've been very fortunate to have some amazing influence along the way. I hope one day I can write about it because there have been some people that, you know, there, this is not all just me. I'm just all, all eyes and all ears. And there have been a lot of people that have definitely helped steer me along the way. And I've asked a lot of questions and, you know, spent a lot of people, a lot of time with people that are in this business, especially the Chinese food business. And, uh, you know, poked and prodded and asked, and asked a lot of vendors and asked a lot of old school families that are involved in a lot of old school restaurants. And you'd be surprised. You'd be well, surprised. Su- surprise me. Give me, give me an, if for example, I, you know, I can't say, okay. <laughs> I can't say, but, uh, you know, there is, it is an amazing I'm very fortunate to be involved in this, in this cuisine. There are some incredible people in the Chinese food business here in Houston, all the restaurants, um, and the chefs behind them. I mean, it's just, it's incredible how deep, how deep the industry goes. All right. Well, that brings me to the end of my question. So I, John, I always like to wrap these interviews up with something I call the lightning round. Okay. Let's do five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. You got it. Let's hear it. All right. John Peterson. What is your favorite cookbook? Mm, man. I really like this one. Um, sorry. All right. We'll come back. Yeah, come back to that one, please. What's the first band you ever saw in concert? First band I ever saw in concert? Concert, Pesha Boys. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through Fast food guilty pleasure. Restaurant with a drive through yeah, that's Oof. how I define fast food. Okay. Uh, that is going to be Whataburger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Because he's a friend of mine, Hunter Pence. That's a good answer. Uh, and finally, when you're not eating General Tso's at the Rice Box, what is your favorite General Tso's chicken? Uh, favorite General Tso's chicken is actually... That would have been the original from Lilai Dumpling House, and unfortunately, it's no longer there. But um, I just, I'm just going to pay a little bit of. Re- I know this has to be a, a short answer here, but I just want to pay a little bit of respect to that place and just and give a word. Lilai Dumpling House. What I ended up finding out is that their general so chicken, the way they breaded it and their sauce, was taken from a style of breading and sauce from a region uh, in China called the Dong Dongbei. So this is like a northern region. And uh, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have asked so much more questions. But now I know why their General So chicken was so damn good. And we do not make our General So chicken in that style, right? We make ours completely different. The breading is different and our sauce is a little different. But their General So chicken was insane. And uh, it sucks that they're no longer there. But that's, you know, that's, that's just kind of how the... That's how the restaurant world turns. That's All exactly right. right. Last shot at favorite cookbook. Uh, um, there is a, I'm trying to think, I want to get it, I want to get it right. Uh, but, uh, you know what, let's just go a very entertaining one I read, uh, most recently and can't say this is my favorite. I try to read as many as I can. Fat rice out of Chicago. Good answer. All right. Uh, give us the social media and the website and all that for the rice box. Yeah. You can find us 
at rice boxed. That's like get rice boxed, <laughs> R-I-C-E-B-O-X-E-D. And uh, that's all it is across the board, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Awesome. John, thanks for being here. Thanks, Eric. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at E Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. We always appreciate your feedback and your reviews, but like Katie Nolan always says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next time.